My scripture tonight will be from the epistle of Peter, 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. In this you greatly rejoice, though how for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. All right, I know you heard it this morning, so we'll go ahead and address it now. There's a little feedback. I don't know if it's me or if I just need to go with this mic. Sounds like it's gone away. All right, let's just turn off my headset here. Can you hear me now? All right. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter number 1. 1 Peter chapter number 1. This will be our text for this evening, as was our scripture reading. And there's a very interesting phrase that Peter uses that to many in the world, they are troubled or they're confused as to what this means or how it could even be so. Peter says, whom having not seen, you love, in verse number eight. We'll get to that here more in just a moment, but it's an interesting thought, isn't it? To think about the fact that there is the capability to love something or someone, despite having never seen that particular entity. As you think about that, by way of introduction, I want us to consider, I've never personally had trouble with my own personal eyesight. I've been blessed that way. I've always had good vision. But I know that many of you have had trouble with your vision, as, as is evidenced by the fact that, that you wear glasses or, or you talk about your contacts or, or you say, I, I can't see your PowerPoint slides, Jordan. I understand, okay? And I've been working on that, I promise. My wife told me recently, or not long ago, that she remembers the time before she had laser eye surgery. She said that before she had the laser eye surgery that she couldn't make out the individual leaves on a tree but after she had that laser eye surgery she was driving down the road or or she was being driven down the road that day and she looked out of her window and for the first time she could see the individual leaves on the trees not just the shape of a tree but the individual leaves details were popping out to her that she'd never seen before maybe you put on a pair of glasses and it dramatically improved the clarity with which you could see something on a page Maybe you've never had trouble with with eyesight, but you've used something like a a microscope or binoculars to enhance your ability to see something that was microscopic or a a long ways off. If I were to tell you that you could pick up a pair of glasses this evening, a figurative pair, or a set of binoculars or a microscope to see something that even Abraham and Isaac and Moses and David and Jeremiah and others and even angels couldn't see fully, wouldn't you want to have access to that pair of glasses? Continue with me in 1 Peter chapter number 1. Notice verses 10 through 12. Of this salvation, 
the one that you and I possess. The prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things which angels desire to look into. Why do I say that we have a special pair of glasses as Christians? Consider this, because as Christians we have the potential for an even better faith than those of old possessed. What do I mean by this? If you think about the Old Testament and you look at the faith that all of our predecessors possessed, it was something that was based upon trust conjoined with obedience. We see that spelled out for us in, the, in Hebrews chapter number 11, that great hall of fame of faith in which time and time again those individuals trusted what God said and then obeyed based upon what he commanded. And so those individuals absolutely possessed faith. In fact, Hebrews chapter 13 verses 7 through 8 says that we are to follow the faith of those particular forefathers. But our faith, interestingly, can actually be better. Not because we are better at it, but because we have something that has been more clearly revealed to us. And our faith helps us today to even see beyond what those individuals could see. Because Jesus has come and has been fully revealed. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 12, at large, the book of Hebrews is about the fact that Jesus is better. That his covenant is better. And in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, the Hebrews writer implores us to look to Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. Some translations are in the original language, it would say of faith, the author and finisher of faith. Not just of our faith individually, but the fact that he has completed or has perfected, carried out to perfection, the concept or the idea or what faith actually looks like. Compared to flawed Old Testament characters, Jesus' faith was perfect because he always trusted and he always did what was right. It is odd for us to consider the faith of Jesus, not just faith in Jesus, because our faith can be even better because we have Jesus already having been revealed to us. The faith that we can possess is no different than the faith of the Old Testament. This, that is to say that the elements haven't changed. It's just that it can be better because of a better example of faith that is in Christ Jesus. Consider, from an early age, Jesus' faith was evident as he went about his father's business in the temple. At his baptism, Jesus' faith was acknowledged by the Father. In the desert, Jesus' faith was tested, and yet it prevailed. In the storm, Jesus' faith was demonstrated to his disciples. In the garden, Jesus' faith was ardently poured out in prayer to the Father. And in the face of death, Jesus' faith was perspective, as he said, If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me, John 12, verse 32. And while hanging on the tree, Jesus demonstrated his faith while he said, Father, into your hands... I commend my spirit. Jesus demonstrated faith throughout his life. Time and time again, he always trusted God and he always did what was right. 
And since Jesus' faith can be looked to, we ought to pattern our faith after his. And so our question before us this evening is, what can faith help me see? What can faith help me see? Our text, as we said a moment ago, is from 1 Peter chapter number 1. So if you haven't been there yet, let's turn there and consider some things. Since Jesus' faith can be looked to, we ought to pattern our faith after his. And as his recipients of his grace, as Christians who have been showered in grace, you and I should look with the eyes of a better faith. In other words, it's through the lens or the glasses or the microscope or the binoculars of faith that you and I should be looking at the world. And so faith is able to help us see certain things. In 1 Peter chapter number 1, verses 3 through 9, we have to recall as we consider this text this evening that Peter is writing to a particular group of people, a particular group of Christians that had been scattered abroad because of the dispersion, as it's called, because of persecution. Notice verse number 1, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, He's writing to Christians, these people that have been scattered abroad, and he's writing to encourage them as they were enduring hardship, as they were enduring difficulty, to help them push through and to see, right, what can faith help me see, to see the bigger picture. There were some things that Peter wanted them to be able to visualize, to be able to perceive and to grasp. So how can a Christian be joyful in trial? One of the questions that Peter answers with the eyes of a better faith, we can consider these trials in the light and the perspective that they should be considered in. And putting on and constantly wearing the glasses of faith helps us to work through those things. We're going to work through verses 6 through 9 backwards, if you will. Verses 3 through 9 backwards. We're going to start with verses 8 and 9 and consider first and foremost this evening that with the eyes of faith, as we're looking with the eyes of faith, that you and I, if we can advance, with the eyes of faith, Christians can see the blessings of a great Savior. With the eyes of faith, you and I, if we were to put on a set of glasses, if we were to call those faith, we can see the blessing of a great Savior. When we think about glasses, those glasses oftentimes help to correct what might be blurry, what might not be completely clear or evident without the aid of that type of prescription. Some people in the world will look at the world and they'll be discouraged, but yet they'll still see some good in the world. And they're trying to understand, well, what does this good mean in light of all of the evil that I see? And those individuals without the eyes of faith will never be able to fully be able to actually see things in a focused manner. Everything's going to be blurry and out of focus without Jesus. And when we have faith in him, that faith helps to correct our vision and understanding of the world around us. Consider with me verse number 8. Though having seen, never seen him, we love him. Whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, Yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Though having never seen him, we love him. As we said at the onset, very interesting concept to think about. Some may ask, how could you ever love someone that you've never met? We might respond to that. Can you 
not love a miscarried child or a great-grandmother that you've never met or, or even an influential gospel preacher that's, that's had an impact on your life because of the materials that you've read of his or the lessons that you've watched that, uh, him preach or listened to him preach. And so as we think about those things, you can certainly love those people and yet you'd really never had a direct personal contact relationship with them. How much more then can we love the God of heaven who has done for us exceedingly above, exceedingly and abundantly above all that we can ask or think, Ephesians 3, verse 20. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 19 through 21, one of our readings this week as we think about God being love, we love because he first loved us. It's only because of the fact that God loves us that we can love him. And because of the love that he showered down upon us, you and I, with the eyes of faith, though we've never seen him, we can also love him. Not only that, though having never seen him, we also trust him. We don't just love him, but we trust him. Part of that faith, as we said before, is about trust. Notice what it said, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. That word belief and, and trust is oftentimes interchangeable in our New Testaments. And as we think about this, it reminds me of, a, of an internet picture that I saw recently of the year 2000, in which it would have been unheard of to call up someone on the internet, to, to contact someone on the internet, and your, your mother would have said, never talk to strangers on the internet, and certainly never get in a car with a stranger. But then you fast forward into the year 2020 and you pull out your cell phone and you use Uber and you hail up an a stranger on the internet and you get into their car with them. And we now, why is it that we do that? Because we've seen over and over and over again that that system works and it's trustworthy, it's reliable. Though you still might be a little bit concerned about it, not sure about it, you're pretty confident in its reliability because there's been millions of people that have used Uber over, the, over time. And as we think about that in light of the faith that we possess and the glasses that we get to put on, in that situation, we get to be able to be, be sure and confident in the fact that what God has told us over and over and over again will come to pass. Our eyes of faith allow us to believe and trust his promises, to trust his power, to trust his purposes, what he intends to do with us. You and I, in every situation, are able to trust Jesus, though we've never seen him, because as we look at what's happened in others, other people's lives, we can, we can see and know that God will take care of us just like he took care of them. And we can even look into our own lives and say, I could see that God was taking care of me in that circumstance, that God's providence was working in my life, and that I can trust and rest assured that that will take place again. Our faith helps us to see that. And then... In verse number nine, not only do we love him though we've never seen him, not only do we trust him that we've, though we've never seen him, but we also rely on him. That is, we rely upon him for our salvation, verse number nine. Receiving the end of your faith, that is the salvation of your souls. We rely upon him for our salvation and for our peace. And without the blessing of a great savior in the eyes of faith to see it, you and I would have no one to rely on. No one to trust in, no one to ultimately love, and no reason to love. And so with the eyes of faith, Christians from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, 
can see the blessing of a great Savior. That's something that you and I can actually perceive and visualize because of the faith that we possess that the world cannot because they don't have that same set of glasses that you and I have. But faith could also be said this way. With the eyes of faith, Christians, secondly this evening, see the blessings of great trials and difficulties. Not only with the eyes of faith can we see the blessing of a great Savior, but you and I can see the blessings of great trials and difficulties. Consider verses 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice, Peter said, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We might liken this particular type of visual enhancement to a microscope. Whereas before, a, a set of glasses helps to change something that might be blurry. Remember we said the world might look at the, at the world around them and they see good, but they also see evil and things don't make sense and they're not sure about the purpose of life. And it's only that with our faith in Jesus Christ that we can make sense of anything and have any direction and purpose in life. When it comes to the blessing and to be able to see the blessing of great trials, our faith helps us to see things that on the surface are a little bit difficult to perceive and grasp. You know, to the world, they say, how could trials, how could difficulties ever be beneficial and helpful for me? But for the Christian, with the eyes of faith, that is, in this sense, maybe the microscope of faith, you and I can look at those difficulties and see the blessing that they are. Consider this from verse number seven, the first part, that the genuineness of your faith, right, based upon these trials, when we have these trials, the genuineness of our faith is tested. It's like a litmus test. You remember in your chemistry classes in which you would take that particular piece of paper and you would stick it into either an acid or a base and it would reveal to you whether it was acidic or basic of some sort of type of solution there before you, and you had to write it on your paper, well, this is a pH of nine and a half, or whatever it would be. It's like a litmus test. It reveals for us whether or not our faith is truly genuine, whether or not our faith is truly real and sincere. And so trials help to do that. When a trial comes our way, how do we react to that circumstance? How do we act in that given situation? Does our faith falter? Sometimes we might do that, and we might see that our faith needs to grow. But our faith is tested by those trials, and it's revealed to us whether or not, those, whether or not our faith is actually sincere or genuine. But not only that, from, secondly from verse number 7, we see that trials refine our faith. The trials refine our faith. Continue on. Being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. We might say that trials take the bad stuff out of our faith or out of our lives. In Isaiah chapter 48, verse 10, the prophet said, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. God is saying, look, the things that you've been through, these things are trying you and they're putting you to the test. There's a variety of ways to test the genuineness of gold and silver. You can visually inspect it. You can weigh it. You can listen to it. You can ask whether or not it's magnetic. And you can even do an acid test. But the best method of testing gold and whether or not it's genuine, a metallurgist would then use fire to test it. 
When a metallurgist wants to test the quality of gold, he goes through a particular process, but only that in testing the quality, but also whether or not there are things that need to be refined in that gold. And they take that same process and they put fire to it and they allow that fire to melt away or to, to sift out that particular uh, element that is within that gold that shouldn't be there, that's not genuine. And so it is the case when it comes to the testing or the trying of our faith. When we go through trials, it helps to remove those things that are unnecessary, that are inconsequential, that are not essential to our lives. And so as we go through trials, we see the benefit, the blessing of those things. Trials refine our faith. It also improves the value and worth of our faith. Think about this. In a sense, post-trial faith is more valuable than gold. Obviously, our faith is more valuable than anything physical or material in this world. But beyond that, as we think about what our faith is capable of doing, whereas gold might be able to buy someone's allegiance, our faith is able to actually help to influence others by the way that we live, by the way that we interact with people. It causes other people to look at us after we've gone through a difficult trial or circumstance, and they say, how is it that Mr. Simmons over there, that despite the difficulty that he's been through, that he can still say, Jesus is my Lord. I want to know more about that faith that he possesses. And so that post-trial faith is able to work things that maybe beforehand it wouldn't be able to work. But not only that, post-trial faith in the end is a great testament to the power of God. With our eyes of faith, when we allow trials to shape and to mold us in the end of the revelation of Jesus Christ, more glory will have been brought to him, more honor will have been given to him, and more praise will have been offered to him because of our faithfulness. But not only that, trials produce a faith that is rewardable. Notice the end of verse number 7. That that faith, that is your faith, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is when Jesus, when God looks at us, he would be able to say, based upon our faith, a faith that is genuine and sincere, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I'm going to honor you in this sense. I will set you over much. And he brings us into glory, saying, enter into the joy of our Lord. Before, or early on in the stages of COVID, John led us through a study, and I know we considered these things early on, from the book of James, in which James chapter 1 reveals to us that trials help to develop patience, much like Peter is saying here. The trials build maturity, verse number 4. The trials instill wisdom within us. The trials encourage prayer. The trials remind us that life is temporary, that these things that we rely upon in this life ought not to be, but we ought to be thinking spiritually, we ought to be thinking in, the, uh, in eternity, and that trials ultimately help us to win a crown of life when we handle those trials properly. Trials aren't a bad thing. Those, those difficulties aren't something that we are to look at with disdain. Certainly we don't wish them upon anyone, that we, we don't want to have them all the time, but when they come our way, we ought to see the blessing that comes from those things. And it's only with the eyes of faith that not only can we see a great Savior, but we can also see the blessings of great trials. Consider finally this evening that with the eyes of faith, Christians see the blessing of a great future. The blessing of a great future. 
those that are not Christians can't see beyond this life. This life is all that there is to them. There is no eternity. There is no life after death. But much like a set of binoculars helps us to see that which is afar off and bring into our vision, bring into our perception that which is so far away, you and I with the eyes of faith can see with clarity into the future. No, we can't predict what's around every corner. No, we don't know what's going to happen with the upcoming election or what's going to take place in 2021. Is, is COVID-19 going to go away? But with the eyes of faith, binoculars, these, in a binocular sense, faith helps to bring closer what otherwise might seem far away. In two ways, we could say that this is the case. With the eyes of faith, Christians see the blessing of a great future, number one, in the sense that a, a great future lies in this life, here and now. That we're, as Christians, promised and ensured that this life is the best life that there is to live. Problem free? No. Refer back to point number two. Persecution free? No. Jesus said that we're going to endure persecution. Just, and so did Paul. And, and those individuals and the apostles, so many of them endured persecution. They would laugh at us if we, if we were to say that we weren't, wouldn't endure persecution. That's part of living the Christian life. Those difficulties will come, but yet it's still the best life that there is to live. And Christians with the eyes of faith can see that. They realize that because now as Christians, we live a life that is full of hope. We live a life that is not hopeless not a hope that is just wishful, but one that is confidently expecting that God will take care of us both in this life and in the life that is to come. Our hope is living. We don't just possess hope, but our hope is continually strengthening. It's getting stronger and stronger every day. Those of you that are older Christians, can you not attest to this? Perhaps as you are a new Christian and early on, you were developing this faith and you thought, I trust God, but man, it's, it's sometimes really difficult. But as you've gotten older and as time and time again, you've seen God come through on his promises and you've seen God take care of you and you've never been left hungry or in need. You say, you know what? As an older Christian, my faith is stronger than it's ever been. Hopefully that's the case for you because I've seen God always taking care of me. But not only is a Christian able to see the blessing of a great future in this life, but with the eyes of faith, Christians can see the blessing of a great future in the life thereafter. Notice verse number three and four. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope that we just talked about through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Two, notice, an inheritance that is, number one, incorruptible, and it's undefiled, that does not fade away, number three, and is reserved in heaven for you. Our inheritance, our hope, with the eyes of faith, we can see that inheritance, that hope, knowing that our inheritance is far better than any physical inheritance in this world because it doesn't decay like any physical inheritance in this world. It's incorruptible. With the eyes of faith, you and I can see that. We don't have to worry about it decaying because it can't, because it's not of this world, our inheritance. And with the eyes of faith, we can see that, that it's incorruptible. Not only is it incorruptible, but it's undefiled. It's undefiled. With the eyes of faith, we can see that our inheritance is better 
because it's pure and without suspicion. It wasn't gained dishonestly. There's no way that you can possess this eternal inheritance by coming by it dishonestly. It's only given to those who truly are followers of Christ. And Jesus only is able to give it to us because he worked out the situation, the plan for us through his blood. And we can trust and rely upon that. It's undefiled. It's not dirty money. It's the most precious payment in the history of all of mankind and human history. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that he purchased the church with, Acts 20, verse 28. It's fadeless. With the eyes of faith, we see that our inheritance is better because in perpetuity it stays as bright as the first day that it was received. It's different than, it, than the thought of it being incorruptible in the sense that it won't decay. Not only will it not decay, but it stays as bright as it's ever been and will ever will be. Our inheritance is that powerful. It's that precious. It's that much to be desired. And finally, our inheritance, what a wonderful thought. With the eyes of faith, you and I can see and trust and know that our inheritance is protected and guarded by the most powerful force in the universe. Notice what it said at the end of verse number four. Reserved in heaven for you. Nothing on earth, Romans chapter eight, can do anything to separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing in this world, nothing in this universe can do anything to take our inheritance away and with the eyes of faith, we can see that and we can know that. We can be confident in that because it's reserved in heaven. God has it under lock and key. And there's nothing about the fortress of heaven that can be penetrated by any force of this world or evil of this world. And you and I with the eyes of faith can trust that and know that and be confident in that. One might say, you know what? I'm not so sure that my glasses are working correctly right now. I'm having problems seeing those blessings that we've spoken of this evening. Sometimes you need to go into the optometrist to have your prescription checked, don't you? You need to have some things adjusted. Sometimes we also need to examine the genuineness of our faith. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 5. How do we do that? Well, Paul tells us very clearly, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. How do we tune up our faith, if you will? How do we make sure that our faith is genuine and sincere and make sure that it's able to help us see the things of this, uh, that we've talked about tonight? Read the Word of God. Bring it into your life. Digest it. Live it out. Make sure that it's a part of who you are. Without the Word of God, you'll never be able to see these things because faith will be weak in those circumstances. Have you been looking at the world with worldly vision? or with corrected vision, vision that is of faith. If you're not a Christian, we invite you to have your vision corrected with the eyes of faith. Have those things of, of scripture that are revealed to us played out in your life, that you would become a Christian by putting on Christ in the water and grave of baptism. Perhaps you are a Christian and you've been struggling with having a faith that is able to see the great blessings we've talked about tonight. We'd encourage you to check your prescription. Come study the Bible with us. Anything that we can do to help you, if there's anything that we can do tonight, we ask that you come as together we stand as we sing.